And what a blessed service it was indeed. And I loved, I loved the children's story, talking about our children and, and protecting them and loving them. And I love what she said. Um, I love what Mary said <laughs> about that your children, they go off to college and they graduate from college and they graduate from the church. I thought that was so powerful because, you know, as, as a student and as, as a young person, I do see a lot, of, a lot of my friends and mainly just people just all around. You, you see them kind of falling away from, from the church and, and what it has to offer. And unfortunately, it is easier as this world gets worse and worse, but it's, that was an encouraging and very powerful children's story to, to remind us to keep, to keep doing things that challenge us, especially as youth. And this is why I'm up here, because this is challenging for me, and I'm excited. I need to share what God has given me, a little part of my testimony. Let me just make sure everything's on. <laughs> And it is also, also such a, a privilege for us to worship here. Amen? And Aaron Penrod always tells me, I always do this thing when I come up here where I say, Happy Sabbath, church family. And I say, Amen? She says, you always do that. I'm like, because I want to hear them. So I'm going to keep doing it until I really hear you guys say it. <laughs> Let's see if everything... Are we good? Okay. Awesome. <laughs> and so, as you saw in your bulletin, the sermon is titled, You Don't Have to Fight Alone. And something that I realized when I was practicing this sermon is that in that title, it has a twofold meaning. So, the obvious, yet still powerful and hopeful first meaning is that you literally don't have to fight alone. Just like, I don't know if you can see it, just like that swimmer up there who has a friend with them. It's pretty, pretty dark, but there's a swimmer and he has a friend, so he's not swimming alone, <laughs> breathing the ocean together. And so you don't have to fight alone. So whatever you may be going through, you don't have to do it alone. And ultimately, God is there to help you to fight through it and ultimately conquer it. And the other meeting that was really insightful that I was, I was practicing my intro and I started to realize that God showed me it, that yes, we should remember that's that first meaning, that statement that we don't have to fight alone, that God is there. But it's also important for us to remember that in that statement, the words you and fight, they're still there. So yes, God is going to be there once again, help you and fight for you and conquer it for you in the end. But you, me, I'm still in that equation because too often I, I do this same exact thing. I, I get all the way up to this point where I'm like, all right, God, I started to see you. You got this. And then I just kind of step back and I'm like, all right, God, you got it. Go. <laughs> but unfortunately, it doesn't, as we all know, it doesn't work that way. You still need to fight. You can't just leave it to God because he's there for you and he ultimately conquered for you. But you, you still need to do your part and fight. And before I pray to start, I want to say that I feel truly so blessed and privileged to be up here for the first time, so don't judge me too hard, <laughs> uh, to be able to share some of my story, my personal testimony, and most importantly, to be able to share about a topic that I am passionate about. It's a topic that I learn more and more about in my daily life, and especially in my generation. And I'm also so excited just to keep sharing my growth I think that's important for us all, as we all grow as Christians, to keep sharing our growth and our experiences with all of those around us, even in the simplest of everyday conversations. And um, I'm excited to do that as I continue to grow with God. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, <laughs> I am so excited to be up here to, to share this message for you, but most importantly, I ask that you hide me behind your cross, Lord. Give me peace now, give me your strength, and let my words be yours, Lord. Speak through me, let me be a light, and I pray that even just one person is blessed through this sermon. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Addiction. And its depiction is in the color of the bags under our eyes, in our words as we spit out lies, in the sound of our loud and defensive tones and our thoughts saying, I can figure this out on my own. In our eyes as they glue tighter to our screens and our bodies as we consume more and more. Point and, <laughs> and in our prayers, pointless. They seem only a chore for us to, to somehow gain more. In the silence, alone, we know, we know this isn't true joy, this isn't true happiness. It's only temporary, meaningless, pointless. We, we say that, but here, here we are again. Here I am again. Something new to look at, a new show, TV, or YouTube video. The addiction, it's becoming, it's becoming all we know. God, yeah, he, he's there. And, and, I, and we pray, but I don't know, it, it seems as though each day our connection to him, it, it fades away. And, oh no, don't, don't tell us. We know. Jesus, he's the only one who can fix our problem. He's the only one who died for those fallen. Yeah, but it's, it's just that we, we definitely do, but also sometimes we don't want to stop. That poem I just read, I wrote for this message specifically, and the poem is titled, The Reality of It. And the reason it doesn't seem done or have this happier ending is because I not only wanted it to tie in with my message and topic, which um, will conclude with a happier and positive ending, but I also left that poem that way because it just felt so personal, so real, and so honest. And sometimes things don't have a resolve just yet. Addiction. Almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction, yet only 10%, 10% of them, they receive treatment. This is according to the addictioncenter.com, which was actually last edited in May of 2020 and clinically reviewed in July of 2019, since I am not a professional doctor. So, and when we think of addiction, I'm sure a lot of our first thoughts, a lot of your first thoughts, they go to drug addiction, alcohol, tobacco, and so on. And unfortunately, those types of addictions are very high up there. But as an individual who has struggled with addiction, and that still does at times, which I will briefly cover in a bit, I personally feel that this topic, addiction, isn't discussed enough, especially in the church. It's like one of those things that everyone is almost even too scared of to say the word itself. And my addiction as well isn't, isn't exactly what you would put in the category of your first thoughts of addiction. And that's the biggest reason why I want to talk about this. Because not only is addiction not discussed enough, but other types of addiction, almost anything, stuff that we might consider as small in terms of addiction, those things, in my opinion, are not touched on enough, let alone discussed, and they can be the most dangerous. And as Christians, knowing God's truth, Satan works even harder on us. But where do we find God's truth? This isn't rocket science. It's in his word, in his Bible. So let's turn there now. Let's turn to... Luke 7, and we're going to read from verse 36 through pretty much to the end of the chapter. And no, I did not put the full verses up because I want you guys to read your Bibles. <laughs> 
So we will start in Luke 7, 36 to 50. And here, here we find the story of Mary Magdalene. And our story picks up with Jesus at a Pharisee's home who had invited him there to eat. And in verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman in the city... Is everyone there? Here's some pages turning still. Okay. <laughs> and behold, a woman who is in the city... Who, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. And I'm going to stop at sinner really quick. Because later on in chapter 8 of Luke, we are given more details into what she was struggling with. And I'm going to read that really quick. In verse 2 of chapter 8, it says... And a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So it says, of evil spirits and infirmities and sickness. So that leads me to believe that she probably struggled with addictions. And interestingly enough, addiction is actually termed a disease from the from the center of addiction.org, it says, addiction is a complex disease of the brain and body that involves compulsive use of one or more substances despite the serious health and social consequences. Addiction disrupts the regions of the brain that are responsible for reward, motivation, for learning, judgment, and memory. Pretty much <laughs> covers everything. It, it damages various body systems as well as families, relationships, schools, workplaces, and neighborhoods. So addiction is serious. And, and after reading that, sorry, almost lost my spot there for a second. <laughs> um, here we are. And after reading that, we can conclude that Mary Magdalene was probably outed by many of her friends, by her town, by her city. I'm sure she felt... <laughs> Like an outcast, I'm sure she felt alone. And now we're going to pick up from the rest of the verses, going back to verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, I'm sure he would know who and what manner of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And I love this verse because I can kind of picture my mom or my dad coming up to me and saying, Lexi, I have something to tell you. And I'm just over here like, oh man, I'm screwed. I definitely, definitely messed up. But you see, Jesus, what Jesus does is he always teaches his lessons in such love and care. Jesus says, Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. So Simon says, teacher, say it. He says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman, Jesus, and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet, with, has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my head with fragrant, anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, and I love this verse, he just says to her and he looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Wow, that outcast, that girl who felt outed, outed by her city that she struggled with infirmities and evil spirits and sickness, Jesus looked at her and said, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him, they began to say to themselves, verse 49, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to them, Jesus, and then Jesus said to the woman, and I love this one as well, your faith, your faith has saved you. Verse 50, go in peace. Wow. And I find it so very important to read all of these verses because we see this amazingly quick series of events that change Mary Magdalene's life forever. And as we read through Jesus' life in the Bible, we see that Mary Magdalene was there at some very pivotal points in his life, and the most important one being at the cross. And there is something else at the cross that is related to addiction that my dad actually pointed out yesterday, in that Jesus, even at the cross, aside from the many other times in his life, he was tempted to numb his pain with this stick, this sponge with wine on it, to numb it with wine, which can be a huge addiction, especially in the Bible. And even in that small instance, Jesus overcame that. He overcame that at the cross, assuring us that we can overcome when we are tempted. And that's just one instance from Jesus. And as we continue, we find other examples in the Bible about people who've probably dealt with addiction or just had encounters with it where they were tempted by it. People like Daniel, who received, who refused the king's delicacies and drinks to avoid addiction. All the kings in the Bible who are many times found drunk because of their many feasts and strong addiction to wine. Samson, who started out as a Nazarite, and with his Nazarite vow of never cutting his hair because of the strength which God gave it, and also to abstain from wine or drinking of any sort, well, he ended up with his, all his locks cut off and many instances where he went to feasts of worldly people where wine was served. And with the likes of people like Delilah, we can't help but assume that he probably indulged in wine there, breaking his vow. Another, another example, King David, he became addicted to himself and the power that he held and the wisdom that he had. He was addicted to the lust of woman, going so far to kill a man so that he could have his wife, that man's wife, for himself, because he was never satisfied. And the last one, the woman at the well, who I believe struggled with addictions, but probably different ones than we'd expect. Because as we learned, addictions, they can lead to more problems in our lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and our relationships around us. And what's so powerful, so all these people, at one point or another in their lives, Jesus found them. Where they were, he found them, and he gave them a chance. He gave them a chance to be forgiven and to move on from the lives that they had lived. And if we weren't even to look at that one story that we just studied of Mary Magdalene, we can see that just one 
little encounter with the Savior can change our lives forever and turn it around for the better, especially when dealing with addictions. We see that one touch of love and forgiveness through our sincere plea to him can change us. For some, it will work immediately. For some, it will, it will take a while. And for some, it will lead them to the cross. And I know this, and I know this to be true because I lived it. So here is my testimony. It started when I was 15, and I got my first iPod. It was an iPod Touch, to be exact. Not this, but I got this a little later. <laughs> and I was so excited, so excited to figure out how to use it, how it worked. And even back then, I'm not really that old. I don't know why I said back then. But even when I was younger, <laughs> I picked it up very quickly. And I was excited for all these games and these apps that I could use and wasted some money on a few many TV show episodes and wasted money on music that was just not really worth it. But at this point, it was just really fun. And then it started to spiral. And I started to always have it with me. And at this point in my life, I was homeschooling. I was going through, um, I think it was 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, so four years of homeschooling when I lived in. And we also lived in the country, so I was very far from my friends. And so as I homeschooled, and um, some of you may know, I struggle with school more than I feel like most people, <laughs> just not really my brain process. <laughs> and so being at home, homeschooling, not really my motivation, with friends far away, and then this lovely little device to distract me, you can guess what happened. And it started to actually get kind of bad. And also as a growing teenager who can kind of, you know, have angst or just, you know, can kind of get annoying to their parents every once in a while, I started to become more rude, and I started to become rebellious. Now, rude is definitely a trait that I can be sometimes, because I am not perfect, I am a sinful human being. But rebellious is a word that I don't exactly wouldn't put for myself, because my personality isn't like that, and I always tell people, I have a really bad conscience, but I guess in a sense it's a really good conscience. <laughs> because when, even when I was younger, I would, my mom would ask me, hey, you know, did you do this? And I was like, yeah, I didn't do it. But then, you know, five seconds later, I would be like, <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm so sorry. And I just feel like my, my, it's eating at me. She's like, your conscience? And I'm like, yeah, that's what's eating at me. <laughs> and so during this time, when my parents would come into my room and say, hey, are, are you on this device? Are you on your, are your iPod at late at night in the daytime in the bathroom? You know, it's a normal place to do it. They would ask me, hey, are you on your device? And I'd be like, no. And no feeling whatsoever. And I didn't care that I had lied. And they they knew that I was lying as well. But still, I didn't care that I had lied, and I just, I became more and more engrossed in this device, in this piece, this piece of metal, just this piece of metal, about five inches, I think it was, 5.1 inch, I think, maybe, maybe less, maybe I'm overestimating. <laughs> and I watched and I read things that I regret and that I wish I never did. Something was important, because I believe that just like in that Tron story, our parents, they're, they're looking out for us and they want the best for us. My mom, she realized after a while that you can only do so much to take it away from me. And so she started praying. And she just said, you know, only so much I can do. I know she's going to get it back, but I'm going to pray. And you know, that's probably one of the best things she could have ever done because prayer is power. Amen? Prayer is power. And thankfully, as I grew and as through many people around me, and just through God, 
through God ultimately pushing himself more and more into my life, and not pushing, I guess that's not the best word, gently putting himself into my life more and more, I started to see him more and more. And then I came to this very foundational part in my life. I went to a high school called Fountain View Academy. It's in British Columbia, Canada. And they're very strict. Some would say very strict, some would say not as strict, but it's strict for good reason. So Fountain View, they want to create this atmosphere where you can cultivate this experience with God where you're able to push away all the distractions of the world. So there, you couldn't have your phones. It was very restricted. You couldn't, um, you could talk to your family and everything, but it was just, they really wanted to cultivate this atmosphere, especially, you know, at that age. When you're in, when you're in high school and you're almost about to graduate, you really want to be steadfast and sound in God. And so there, I found Jesus as my personal friend. And I can't even begin, ah, I will not get emotional. I can't even begin to express how foundational that is and how foundational that was in my life. To find Jesus as a personal friend and to to lie in my bed and to be excited to talk to God, that's, that's power. And I found my passions, songwriting and music, and later on it led to, to video and to photo as well. And I started to really see God in my life. And of course, with our journeys, they're never over. <laughs> so then college came. And as a few of you who are in college, I know I see Lisa there, we all know the struggles of college, <laughs> especially our first years can be very hmm, character building. That's probably a good word. <laughs> and so my addiction came back and it came back swinging, but this time it was more of a distraction, if that makes sense. So it wasn't an addiction to my phone, it was just a distraction from the things that I didn't want to do, <laughs> as in, i.e. My, my homework and my schoolwork. <laughs> and I hadn't found a study partner and there were just things that were really foundational that I needed in my life that, at that point that I hadn't found. So I binge watched a whole season of a show in two days during a busy week of tests. I reviewed for a test the same day the morning of, 20 minutes before. Let's just say I didn't do very well on that test. Um, <laughs> I barely studied for finals the week of, and I was just, I was getting engrossed in this, this device again. I was letting it distract me. And it, again, I was saying it wasn't much of an addiction, but it was so familiar that it was easy to go back to it as well from that time that I really, really struggled. And then I wanna share this, this moment before I close up my testimony. This moment with a friend of mine, I went to visit her, and I was so excited and we, we were chatting and something that I love about all my close friends is that I can have really meaningful conversations with them. And so I was having a meaningful conversation with her and I was opening up to her and I was telling her how I was struggling. And I was like, man, like I just, you know, I feel like I can't focus. And as I kept telling her what was going on, God started to speak through her. Amen for that. And she started to give me encouraging um, quotes and just, just encouraging words to help encourage me and stuff that was personally impactful to me. But as she started to do that, I started to, to push off and to, to fight back with this negativity. And I was, for a second, I was like, oh, you know, we're just, you know, figuring, figuring each other out. You know, it's just a good conversation. But it started to get worse and worse, and I really felt this negative energy. And at one point, I just kind of stepped back. We were sitting on her bed, and I just, I stepped back, and I said, you know, I think I want to lie down. Can you pray for me? And is there a verse that I can claim? Because I kid you not, church family, I, I felt... I felt the realness of the great controversy of this war that's going on right now. The war between good and between evil and between God and Satan. And I saw a little bit of that effect there because God was speaking through her, but I felt like the devil was speaking through me at some points. And I, I was 
I always like to go back and to reflect on that experience because it's so important for me to be, for me to remember and to go back to that and say, I never want to feel that again. And what can I do to keep even moving on further from that, to keep progressing and to keep growing through that? And my story isn't over yet. I've learned through God to find peace and to find strength in him. And even this past year, I felt more stagnant in my personal walk with him, not in my day-to-day life. I've really seen him work and I've seen others work, um, him work through others to me, but I've struggled to kind of find him personally as well. And so we, we learn, we learn from each of our failures. We're, we're not, I'm not out of the woods yet. And it's the biggest thing for me that I always tell this to God when I pray, I'm like, it's a patience test, right, Lord? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. Good, good to know, good to remember. <laughs> and what's important to me is that sometimes I see this addiction, this distraction, whatever this is to this device, I see it as this, as this patience test and also as this test to keep reminding me to keep coming back to him, that I'm never going to have it all together, that God is always there and that I always need to keep coming back to him daily, even hourly, <laughs> to keep coming back to him and to keep surrendering. And my testimony, like I said, it's not done. It's ever growing. And I think something that's so important about, our, to sh- about sharing our testimonies is that all of them, all of your testimonies, they're so special and they're so unique and they're so you because God loves you and God made you. And that's important to me because sometimes when I look at my testimony, I look back and I'm like, I mean, it was pretty, pretty casual. But now that I share it and I share it more, I see how much God is working in my life and encourages me to keep fighting and to keep surrendering to him. And I encourage you to do that now as well. So now, here are some words of encouragement from the word of God on getting over addiction. These first two verses are more of a, a warning and a heed to us. And the first verse is in 1 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. I'll let you guys turn there. These are powerful verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. Say amen when you're there. I heard amen. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, it says, And drank that same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts upon the evil things as they did. And this, is, this verse speaks for itself. To, though that was an example for us, to not turn our hearts on evil things as they did. And the other verse of warning is Hebrews 2.14. I'll let you guys turn there as well. Hebrews 2.14. Say amen when you're there. There we go. Since the children had have since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him, and this is the, the warning and the heed part, that he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil. And now here are some verses for power and strength that I wish many people, including me, would have been able to find when they were struggling or when they are struggling. Or if you are struggling now, I hope that these are are of power and of strength to you. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And this is our scripture reading. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when 
you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And then James 1.13, I'll just read the rest of these. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And that's powerful to remember because I think oftentimes when we're struggling, when life seems to kind of push itself upon us, we're like, God, is, is that you? It's, it's easy to look at God and, and question. But if we're ever tempted, it's, God does not, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And the last two, Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing, and I love this verse, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Last verse, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I love this verse because I, I, I picture John the Revelator in his vision where he's, where he's in the throne room of God and there's all this bright light and there's all this power and, and fire and tongues of fire and just so much power, like I said. <laughs> And in this verse, it says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And I feel like in that vision, I can only imagine God giving that confidence to approach it because only with confidence can you approach such a God of power. And now before I close, I'm sure that some of you haven't struggled or don't struggle directly with addiction. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, how can I help? So here are some things that I've learned from others trying to help me and through my own personal experience. And the first two of these don't need to go in order, depending on the person. And again, these three things are from me and stuff that I would, and stuff that I just thought would help. The first one is tough love. Now, this one sounds a little bit harsh because the word tough is in it, but also the word is love, as Christ did. We always do, we always teach and we always do everything in love, or we try to. (laughs) And with this one, it's important because, at least for me, it was important for someone to tell me flat out what was going on in my life, especially if I would open up to them and ask them, hey, you know, how do you think I'm doing? Or, or what, do you, what do you think of what I'm struggling with if I were to open up to them? And just like my friend did, she flat out told me, she's like, you know, you're struggling with this, but I'm telling you this because I care about you and I want you to keep growing and to keep progressing in your walk with God. And it's important too, because even myself, I struggled to make myself think that I that I almost, that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And it was important for other people, you know, just to remind me, hey, I think you're really struggling with this. And, and once again, I want to I wanna give you this love right now, but I also want to tell you what's going on because I want you to grow and to continue. The next one is affirmation. Affirmation is important in any form of communication or any, any type of conversation. So you're encouraging them even the littlest of things and, and even ex- and encouragement can be exactly what they need at that moment. Encouraging them, hey, I saw you, I saw you knock it on your phone, you know, during that sermon. Just kidding. And, <laughs> or I saw you, or I saw you put your phone down when, when I said, hey, maybe we should just, maybe we should just focus on this right now and let's study right now. Those, because I know that even my roommate, when I was struggling in college, she would tell me, hey, Lexi, I've really seen you improve. And she's actually watching this live stream right now. So shout out to Kiana. <laughs> but she would, she would encourage me and she'd say, hey, Lexi, I've seen you improve. And that, that meant the world to me, to know that God was helping me to keep improving through all of this. And the last one is a call to action. And this is so important, yet it's so simple. 
And my friend actually, going back to that situation where there was that negative energy and she was giving off this positive energy, at the end of that whole conversation, she told me, so, what are you going to do about it? And then she just looked at me, just like I am right now. And I was like, first I was like, ooh, I don't like that. That's kind of annoying. I don't want to have to think about what I have to do about it. I've just told you what I'm struggling with. But then she was like, so what are you going to do about it? And I was like, all right, well, I mean, I do want to make steps toward progress and toward growth. And it's important to, to encourage that person that you're, that you're talking to, hey, what are you going to do about it? What's your next step? And I can help you. I, like God, most importantly, can help you, but I'm here as well. It's important for us to reach out and to let people know what's going on and to let them know that you don't have to fight alone. And as we close, we know that there's so much in God's truth that is there to uplift us and to encourage us and to empower us And all those things are only done through Jesus Christ and him alone. Through him, we can be empowered to overcome our addictions, or for that matter, anything that any of you might be dealing with today. We must cling to him, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who walks on water, but the one who could also part that same water or the ocean below in seconds to save his people the one who heals all from all, from all their diseases and infirmities, but also the one who is quick to listen and to feel the slightest of touches and the biggest of crowds. It wouldn't matter who that person was behind that touch or what they had done or who they were, how many days or years or months they had suffered because God, God takes us in all stages of our lives. In all our situations, God will take you and accept you and help you right now. And for some of us, our addictions or addiction will pass away. And for some of us, like me, they will linger and every once in a while creep up and crawl back onto you, trying to pull you down into that, into that pit of temporary happiness, of meaninglessness. But we, we are not tempted by only addictions. We are tempted day in and day out by numerous things. Because the devil, the devil is real. And sin is real. The world state and its decline is real. But what brings power to my soul and tears to my eyes is a cross. A cross where Jesus Or a man, he died for you. But not only any old cross, a cross that held a man that took humanity upon himself. This man, he came to this world and was tempted by many things, including addictions. And if that doesn't get you, the sin that you're struggling with right now, the sin that I'm struggling with right now, he felt it. But not only our sins, but everyone's sins. He felt the whole world's sin all at once. And that just blows my mind because you'd think there's no way. How could he do that? How is that even possible for one human being to feel all our sins, all your sins, all of them, all at once? And as he was sweating drops of blood and was praying to the Lord for his will to be done in his life, the history of the human race came up. And this is from the Tsar of Ages in the chapter of Gethsemane. It says, the history of the human race came up. And in this, I imagine this, this, this movie screen strip, strip just across his eyes, and I see this, the history of the human race, it came up. He saw your face, and his decision was made. He will save man at any cost to himself. So what brings power to my soul and tears to my eyes 
is that Jesus died on a cross for you and for me. He felt that feeling of being alone on that cross more than anyone ever has because he felt separated from someone who he was internally connected to. Mercy. He died to give you that free gift of salvation that you can accept in a matter of seconds with only your true repentance and acceptance and surrender. What brings power to my soul once more and tears to my eyes is that God's love, it surpasses and it conquers all and it wins. It always wins. That, my friends, is why your addictions, they don't define you, but your choices do. Choose him and his never-failing love, and remember that you don't have to fight this alone. I know I've said I'm going to close a few times, but I have one more thing to share. I wrote this song about the experience that I just talked about in my testimony, about struggling with being connected to the world and what was going on. And what's funny is that I wrote about this experience when I was, that I wrote about this experience when I was 15. That makes sense. Let me say that once more. <laughs> I wrote about the experience, and in this experience, I was 15. This, but the song that I just wrote, I just wrote in the past three days. So pretty much just technically finished it this past morning. <laughs> and this song is called Not Where I Was. And the lyrics, they will be up on the screen. The next, will it work, Daddy? We're going to try and see if this will work. Maybe you need to come on this side, closer to the... <laughs> Sorry, we just want to make sure you guys can... There we go. Not where I was. Guitar. Are we on? You hear it? Black and white is what it was But color is all I saw It shows the world took its traits And covered them over mine I played pretend, I said my prayers But what I said I was, was a lie And oh, that time made me who I am and what I am today and oh, your love, that's what makes me stay. Cause where I was, wasn't where you wanted me to be. Cause who you are is so much more than I could see. My addictions and my mistakes and my unbelief led me to believe that I wasn't worthy But you found me and taught me how to see Real color and true belief I was 
was a girl who said yes to Jesus in her life. I saw his light, but in my life, so often I chose wrong from right. The darkness came, disguised in light. I said yes, though deep down I know it wasn't right. And all oh, that time made me who I am and what I am today. And oh, your love, that's what makes me stay. Cause where I was wasn't where you wanted me to be. Cause who you are so much more than I could see. My addictions and my mistakes and my unbelief led me to believe that I wasn't worthy. But you found me and taught me how to see real color and true belief. And the dark won't steal my light. You and I, we will fight. The dark won't steal my light. God, you and I, we will fight. And I am not alone, cause you are on your throne. How can you always say, I love you anyway? Cause where I was wasn't where you wanted me to be. Cause who you are is so much more than I could see. My addictions, my mistakes, and my unbelief led me to believe that I wasn't worthy. my mistakes and my unbelief led me to believe that I wasn't worthy but you found me and taught me how to see real color and true belief Dear Lord, God, you are so awesome. And thank you that I am not where I was. Help us all, Lord, today to keep growing, to keep loving, to keep doing for you. Help us all to be lights. I pray that I was hidden behind your cross, your cross of grace, your cross of power, place where you died for our sins, Lord. Bless us now to this day. Thank you for who you are again. In Jesus' name, amen.